Welcome to Dragon Talk! Yeah! We are making things happen here. I am Greg Tito. Uh, I am joined today by Adam Lee. Hello. How goes it? Greetings. It goes well, sir. Welcome to the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, we have Ms. Shelley Moo is uh, on vacation, uh, so we have uh, you as a, as a stand-in. Do you think you can you can Man, make it work? I, those are big shoes to fill. <laughs> Holy smokes! Wait, are you saying that she has big feet? Because I think she might be upset about that. Yeah, yeah, they're just massive. <laughs> Size sixteen. I don't yeah, know if anybody knows that. So fun fact. Around. Yep. <laughs> kayak around and then. <laughs> uh, nice. So, uh, Adam, your handle on uh, Twitter is Adam of Adventure. Aye, that it is. Uh, did you? How did you choose that? Um, it was actually from a Monty Python skit, and there was a guy who was this kind of dope and he's like bounder of adventure and uh i just thought that was funny and uh then i thought well you know i i write adventures and i like to adventure in on in real life so um so there it was yeah yeah, yeah. i like it it uh, it encapsulates uh, a lot about you i think so yeah that's for me life's an adventure you know and it's like i'm always trying to like find a way to inject it into you know what i do and 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 i think you know when i go out in life and i experience new things and i go to crazy places and i come back and then it helps me uh, write uh, cool stuff and you've been uh here on the D team since 2014 yeah is that right yeah yeah, I've been in, in-house in Wizards since 2010, and I've worked freelance for them since 2005. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So my first uh, writing gig was Cold Snap for Magic. And uh, yeah, and it was, uh, I did a little, some uh, online stories, and I did some names and flavor text, and uh, kind of collaborated back and forth with the, the creative team. And then uh, worked, you know, for every Magic set. And then uh, then 2010, when Wizards kind of started to grow and expand then they said come on in because we like your stuff so i was like okay so i came in and uh that was 2010 worked on magic for four years and then came over to D in 2014 nice um which was like coming back home for me because that's sort of the game that i grew up playing and the kind of the game i love and and yeah so i was so stoked that's yeah. very cool yeah that was um great- and uh, we were saying earlier you worked on uh, Out of the Abyss. That was your yeah. first uh, major adventure. Yeah, when we first came in, um, we were just starting on that. And, uh, you know, I mean, imagine my delight when, you know, I come over to the team and there's Perkins and he, we sit in our first meeting. It was me and Richard and Perkins and we, we just, and, you know, we're just like, what are we going to make, you know? Right. That was just like this moment where I was like, I'm in heaven. <laughs> so, Slash yeah. I'm in the underdark. I'm in the underdark. there's drow who want to kill me, <laughs> yeah. but it feels like heaven. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, that's so super good. cool. It was super cool. And, uh, yeah, so then that was the first one. We started hacking out who the characters were and, you know, what the what the adventure was all about and uh, worked with uh, Bob Salvatore. He came in and did some consulting with us and got to meet Bob and, you know, chat with him about stuff and about the Red Sox and <laughs> about <laughs> Japanese chins, which are his dog and, and Richard's dog. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah. realize they had Richard that dog and, connection. Yeah, Richard and Bob have this sort of soul connection over Japanese chins. Oh, yeah. sweet. Yeah, uh, Richard cool. Witters is our, uh, uh, you know, senior yeah. concept uh, art director. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Back then he was the concept artist, senior concept artist, but now he's senior art director. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, that, uh, uh, they have that connection, and it was always a yeah. nice way to to bridge the gap when, yeah. when dog people talk. That's the first thing Bob always asks: "How's your chins? How's your chins?" <laughs> that's my terrible Bob impression, but yeah, it, it fits with me and Shelley's terrible Bob uh, impression. <laughs> so no worries. Uh, that's very cool. And of course, you did a lot of work on uh, Descent into Avernus, Baldur's Gate. Yeah, uh, yeah. I did that backwards, but you know, you know what I mean. Yeah. We've got the actual copy here, so we'll delve in. 
into that a little bit in the interview portion of this episode where you and Chris Perkins will be talking all about working yes. on this adventure. Yeah. That'll be very fun. Yeah, this was uh, my first uh, time doing a story lead uh, on a D&D product. Um, the other times I've been sort of in the in a role where – you know, I help um, generate the story and I help come up with ideas. But this one, it was just uh, Chris was really busy and, and it was a different kind of departure. And, uh, you know, it was just like the opportunity was there and it was like, hey, do you want to lead the story? And I'm like, heck yeah. So, uh, yeah, 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 I'm really proud of it. And uh, the team was amazing. I worked with a lot of super talented people in-house and out-of-house. And um, I, I love it. It's when that it's weird to actually hold the physical object. I know. And yeah, it yeah. Is, it's then it's real. Yeah. You also, uh, I mean, this is more like the intro, so everyone knows, you know, your your, your shtick. But you also did a lot of uh, the text or all the text for the um, uh, coloring book. Yeah. Uh, what was yeah. the title of that? I'm just blanking. The, on right now. Oh gosh, uh, that well, was the Todd James one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I forget the the title of it. <laughs> no, right, we're so good. <laughs> we're so good at our jobs. Uh, but that was awesome because it, it brought in a lot of your experience in writing. You know, kind of short uh, yeah. snippets of of lore and story. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, uh, before this in my other life, um, I used to do greeting adventures cards. outlined. Sorry, oh, adventures, adventures outlined. outlined. Yep. Yes, everyone love it. Yeah, um, great, great stuff. But um, yeah, that was my previous life as a greeting card uh, writer. Um, so I used to, you know, all day write uh, Christmas cards and birthday cards and Valentine's cards and all that stuff for, you know, probably over a decade I did that. And, um, yeah, in fact, it was kind of what sort of qualified me for a job working uh, on magic, doing names and flavor text and stuff like that. Because it was like, you know, on a magic card, you only have a tiny little amount of space yeah. to write something that's really pithy and, and, and that really hits its home. And greeting cards are exactly that. So, um, so I had already had that ability to take a giant concept and then dwindle it down to a sentence. Yeah, uh, which is an art form. It's it is it's harder than a, one might one might think. So it's like the haiku thing, where like it yeah, is. you can write a poem forever, but when yeah. you have these strict guidelines of character yeah. count and syllable count, that like you, you know you have to be even more economic and in, and in, in your in your language. Yeah, and then you know you kind of like it makes you f- well it makes me fall in love with words, like mm. because. Um, one word has a certain like sort of inflection to it and another word has just a slightly different and um, like the, just the other day I was writing something and it was like the difference, I forget the difference between two words but one word was like um, it was like something is influenced and then something was infested by something mm. and the the feeling I wanted was like this thing is not influencing you it's infesting you it's like it's getting into your body it's it's like it's and it's sort of like got a negative connotation like an infestation of something so um, so it, it's things like that and those are the things that as a writer um, I really goob out about you know yeah. that's sort of my another slice of my geek pie. Is just words and just yeah. what they mean. So yeah, I love that. I love that. Fun. Um, so people will be able to get their hands on Baldur's Gate: Descent into Avernus on September seventeenth. Yes, it'll be available oh. everywhere, uh, both you know digitally uh, at your uh, local game store, yeah. uh, big box stores if that's your jam. Uh, yeah. You can only get this cover, which is the Hydro seventy four cover. Uh, that's extremely stylized, and so nice. uh, I, I, you know, I absolutely love it. It's got a kind of a soft touch and a shiny feel. Uh, you can only get that through game stores. Yeah. Uh, so if you're interested in it. 
uh, make sure you uh, get your order in because uh, we hear that these go fast. They are they do. You know, a limited amount is, is printed, so you know you got to get it early when you can. Uh, but of course, the standard cover is really beautiful too. It has super uh, amazing that painting by Tyler Jacobson that I just I fall in love with it again and again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's so fun. Uh, you know, another fun part of the job is to um, you know send out the art orders and see what the artists come up with. And it's always a treat to send something out to Tyler because, you know, he's just so amazing and he does such a great job. And his thought process, you know, I have the good fortune of being good pals with him. And to hear him talk about how he thinks about, you know, doing the art. And and in a way, we, we, we often like talk about like how art and writing kind of parallel and differentiate between one another. And, mm-hmm. and, and But just seeing how, hearing how he thinks about... Um, you know, oh, well, I needed to, to put the camera here and I needed to have the, the thing here, but then there was this big gap and I didn't know what to do with that, so I filled it with this. And and uh, so it's it's fun. It's a fun thing. So yeah, I love that, that meld of craft versus artistry too, yeah. that like that, that the uh, uh, people who are creating digital things for um, for covers and things like that, yeah. they have to think about it in, in both those ways, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, of course, you need, all right, well, that's where the title is going to go, so you can't put anything really important yeah. in the top you know, third of this painting, yeah. you know, and <laughs> it's all these constraints. Yeah. yeah. It's similar to the haiku type thing where yep. they have to follow, uh, their, you know, the guidelines that, uh, the art director, like Shauna Wolf Narciso yeah. will give him and, and make it, uh, really sing. And yeah. I think that image, uh, oh, in gosh. particular is just really so beautiful. cool. Yeah. yeah. Really neat. Um, so that's coming. And then if you want more art that is similar to that, uh, it sounds silly to say it, but you can get it in the Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus dice and miscellany set. Mm-hmm. That's the, the miscellany part of that of, of that <laughs> of that product name. Um, but yeah, we, that is coming out also on September seventeenth, and it has a it's a it's a you know very thick heavy duty cardboard. Uh, box that when you yeah. open it up, it's felt lined, so you can use. You know, you'll get this beautiful dice that you can use as a uh, uh, and, and roll in that tray. So yeah, you actually have two trays essentially. Yeah. Um, but my favorite part about this 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 product is all of the ancillary miscellaneous stuff that's in it's there. Fun. Yeah. Did you were you involved in putting all that together? Yeah, yeah. I did a lot of the. Well, I did the writing for it. Um, oh so, no, way, really? Yeah, yeah. So that. Um, uh, so I was in, actually in on the product meetings when we were developing that thing. And, um, one of the things we talked about is like, you know, how can we give, um, you know, this incredible value for, you know, just, you know, what you get is like, and so we were talking about like, how, how can we, pow- you know, power pack this full of cool things like a dice tray and like, um, you know, you get art, you know, you get to see, you know, some concept art from, from the book, you get to see, you get your, you know, awesome dice that are, you know, and then what are some fun things that we can give to DMs who are sort of, who are creating worlds in this, in, in, uh, in Avernus and, and beyond. Yeah. And, uh, so we kind of came up with, uh, all that stuff, but we also came up with the, um, you know, showing you the creatures, and then on the on the backside, you get to hear like uh, you know, get some writing about what the creature is and what they do, and you know, kind of a story behind you know why they're there, um, and it just kind of gives you this this flavor feel of what this world is, what this realm is like, and um, and a lot of the monsters and creatures that you're going to encounter down there. Yeah, and then there's um, I believe there's um, you know some extra stuff about like. You get to have the infernal script, and um, you know, so you get to have a 
a uh, a map and um, you get to see some size yeah, the, charts. The map of Avernus looks oh, very cool, and gosh. I didn't realize there's actually that same map is is also yep. in the back of the of the book. Yeah, uh, as well as the Infernal Script. Yeah, uh, and what they all mean. Can you guys? Yeah. There you go. You can kind of see it a little bit more that way. Uh, this is, of course, for audio, but uh, those of you who get the book will actually be able to see uh, yeah. all that stuff that's in there. And it is included in smaller uh, form in the Dice and Miscellany kit. Yeah, and, and that map, um, you know, that came from Jared Blando. Um, we talked with Richard uh, Witters, and, and we were like, you know, had this idea of like, well, you know, a map of Avernus and what would that look like? And, um, and we wanted to have this capture this idea of like you know the old cool maps from like the middle ages where they hadn't really explored that far and so they're kind of making stuff up like what they imagined was out there yeah yeah and so we're so we're like that's kind of what this thing is not a lot of people no avernus has not been explored at all you know it's like people who go down there never return you know and so, and they're not really concerned about cartography, yeah, uh, and, and, <laughs> just and <looking> accuracy, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just staying alive. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So when we talked uh, with uh, Jared, we we kind of said this is kind of what we're feeling, and um, so we had him up and uh, we chatted with him for a while because he just lives in Portland. Oh, that's cool. And uh, anyway, and because he's he's awesome, and uh, so we had a had a talk, and and then he's just like, okay, what I need to know is like, who is the actual person who draws this map mm. like in the world who's the character who did and it? so we were like oh well it, it's like this cartographer who's gone mad uh. you know who's seen this thing through a vision and, and he's like okay i got it and then he goes off and then his first sketch in was just like oh my gosh yeah oh that's cool so yeah does that character appear in the adventure at all or just your conception of it um actually the character is spoken about but it doesn't appear it's just sort of like oh yeah here's the map and oh by the way the person who drew this map went crazy nice (laughs) i love that detail yeah oh that's neat and uh and the the writers in in the book uh they'll put they put um i i you know, kind of fleshed out like, oh, there's going to be like a little blurb from the cartographer or from different people. Like before each like little chapter, you'll get like a little blurb. Um, but then the writers went on to actually write those out as from the cartographer and they're great. And so you get to like, you know, says like for the different locations on the map, the cartographer will say like a little blurb and say mm-hmm. like, you know, what was once here is now blasted and be woe betide anybody who sets foot in this realm, you know, this sanctum, and you're just like, what? <laughs> you're like, now I want to go there. Yeah, right? yeah, totally. So, oh, cool. so the DM can can make the cartographer as big a, a presence or as small a presence as they want. They can just say, oh yeah, the cartographer went nuts and leave it at that. Or they can have this whole scene with the cartographer, or they could have the cartographer linked to the minds of the party and say, you know, just cryptic stuff as they're going through Avernus to kind of creep the party members out or give them little hints as they're going along. So, yeah. That's awesome. Lots of fun. Right. And uh, like I said, there's going to be a copy of that map within the Dyson Miscellany set uh, in addition to the one of the books. So you could potentially give it to your players if they discover it somehow uh, throughout the play. Uh, You know, so you have like an extra copy. Yeah. And also, you know, we we definitely uh, had the the idea in mind that, that this dice set is not particularly for Descent into Avernus. Like, you can use it for Descent Diverse or you can um, run your own campaign after you've gone through this. And this is this uh, dice set is good for any uh, Descent into the Nine Hells that you want to undertake. So, yeah, yeah it's, not, um, it's not tied uh, strictly to this. Right. So, yeah. yeah. We definitely hope that we just inspire people to, yep. to use it in however they, they want to for yeah. their story. Right? Yeah. Your, 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 your road is open. 
cool. <laughs> um, so in addition to all of those coming out on September 17th, there is the new Dungeon Mayhem expansion, which is really exciting. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's two new characters. Uh, you can play as Minsk and Boo yep. uh, as a deck, and Jahira, the druid, yeah. uh, which you may recognize both of them, uh, or, or all three of those characters from uh, the Baldur's Gate series yeah. of video games, uh, as well as uh, at least Minsk and Boo being dramatized in Jim Zub's and Max Dunbar's uh, comic book series, yeah, uh, which is uh, getting a hardcover version. Uh, I think I saw Jim uh, announce yeah. that. Uh, IDW is doing a Hydro 74 cover. Yes. It looks amazing. It does look amazing. Uh, so if you're interested in finding out about what's going on in um, the uh, Baldur's Gate uh, leading up to uh, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus, uh, that's a, a great way to start. Yeah, and Jim uh, Zub and Max Dunbar were both part of the Descent into Avernus adventure. Um, so I brought in Jim um, to be a story consultant on the on the adventure when we were coming up with um, you know story ideas and, and just right in the very beginning of it. And Max Dunbar came in later on to do concept art for it. And uh, oh, right. and uh, yeah. So and he and I were the, the the tag team to invent the abyssal chicken. <laughs> which is like I think a big crowd favorite and then uh, of course Perkins gave it uh, stat block life and an extra love which nice. was of course just out of this world so so yeah um, the Abyssal Chicken is a is a is a is a thing that is our, our, our gift to the world I love that <laughs> uh, so the um, the three uh, five uh, comic book series. So there's five issues in each one of these series. One was Legends of Baldur's Gate, Shadows of the Vampire, which follows yeah. uh, the Curse of Strahd storyline. Yeah. Same characters. Um, and Frost Giant's Fury are all being bundled in a, uh, a, a tome called The Days of Endless Adventure. Yeah. Um, and it is up for pre-order right now. Uh, so good. With IDW publishing it, and it's got a Hydro 74 cover. I just love it. Yeah, you're yeah. totally right. Um, so, so look into that. That's... Um, uh, again, coming from IDW. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jim's got so many other projects also uh, coming yeah. down uh, with his Young Adventurers guides yep. that look really cool. Uh, we will be revealing, I can maybe I'll say this, we'll be revealing the cover of the third Young Adventurers guide oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. next week, I believe. So look for that. <sighs> yeah. uh, when you're listening to this on audio form, it may already be revealed. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, go to check out. Um, uh, at Jim Zub is probably the best person to, to place to get that on yeah. Twitter. Uh, <laughs> he since he's font. so good at promoting his own work. He is a master. In some ways better than us. <laughs> yeah, he is a master. Yeah, that guy is he just... Really is. Yeah, there's four of him, really. <laughs> <laughs> there must be. He must be cloned. Just like a... Yeah, there's just like a giant room with just vats with Jim Zubs uh, all ready to... Spreading all yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, I love that. We do, of course, have uh, tons of other fun things to announce for uh, later on this year, but we'll get to that uh, on another Dragon Talk. What uh, do you say about that? Oh, that sounds good, yeah. All right. Spread, uh, distribute the, uh, the, the, the wealth. tasty treats. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we will now go to uh, some lore you should know uh, with both of us talking. Okay. <laughs> yes. So let's Let listen to that. some bells. Let's listen to some bing bongs, and then it'll be just us talking once again. As lore. Welcome to another segment of Lore You Should Know. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by... 
Adam Lee. Adam Lee, and this is where we delve into little bits of Dungeons and Dragons lore for funzos. Yeah, uh, but you might also be able to use these specific topics uh, in your playthrough of Baldur's Gate: Descent into Avernus uh, uh-huh. uh, when it comes out on September seventeenth. Um, yeah. So today we're going to be talking about Candlekeep. Candlekeep. Yes, the, the great library. It's a wonderful library. Realms, yeah. Um, we were saying uh, that it would be the place that we would want to live in. Oh, my. Oh, my, yes. yes. Yeah. I have I did a lot of thinking about Candlekeep, and uh, it's, uh, it's just so cool. Yeah. yeah. There's just so many cool things going on there, and there's so many great adventures you can play there, and uh, it's very interesting and just endless amounts of fun. We've uh, we've talked about Candlekeep, I think, on a Laurie Cheneau previously, uh, yeah. but that was more uh, general kind of history. Yeah. But we're going to talk about more under the context of uh, how it appears in uh, this adventure. So, yeah. Um, but that being said, can you give us a little bit of a general overview of of, of what Candlekeep is and and, and yeah. uh, its history? So Candlekeep, yeah, it was long, long ago. Um, it was a it was a keep, and uh, and then eventually became this this library, um, and. Has kind of built up over the the years, centuries, whatever. It's like it's it it. There are these towers that are all connected by crazy bridges, and and uh, one tower is built by another, and one's built on top of another, and and so the central keep is this area that uh, you you enter into. But then once you are granted access to Candlekeep, um, then you can move in and you can go through the the massive halls and libraries. And then past those libraries, there are even greater um, these towers where resident wizards and scholars and sages and all all manner of uh, you know learned folk learned folk yes um, live and and study and read and and do experiments and all the stuff. So, um, would you equate it to like a like a university now? No, it, well, it, it's in some ways, um, it's not necessarily a university where you know people, f- uh, you know, kind of apply and go in and, and study. It's it's more. Uh, I mean, maybe it, maybe it is kind of like a university, but it's it's its, its own weird thing, like yeah. a library of Alexandria yeah, type thing. Yeah, it's more like a library of Alexandria. Like the people who the monks who sort of run the place, um, they um, they are. They're aware that they hold a repository of knowledge like no other on Toral, and um, and so they they defend it. And they're monks of a a god called Aluando. 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 And the the they are um, you know the the, the the voice of Aluando can be heard on the on the on the the, the wind. And, really? Uh, yeah, and so you in the there there are people who walk through and they they chant the chants of Aluando. And uh, so there is this sort of mystical component to, um, you know, this, this keep, this order of monks that take care of this place. Um, but, yeah, so if you were to walk up to Candlekeep, you would get to the main gate. And one of the ways to enter or the way to enter is that you have to have a book that is not in the keep, which is a hard sort of task to acquire. Like, and you can have um, – like say you have a copy of a book – um, but it's a different edition. Um, they'll accept that. Okay. So, so you, you, you know, you can have a duplicate, but it's got to be different in some, some manner. Um, and then once you present that book, they take it, and then you're allowed to, to gain access. This, and, of course, being the main way that they, they collect books. Yeah, to, collect new books. Yeah. Yeah, so they're just, all these people who are coming in, they're just constantly, 
you know, just amassing more and more books. Now, does that have to happen each time you enter or once you do that once you have entrance no, it, into Candlekeep? Each, I think it's each time you enter. Each time. Yeah. So that's why people live there. It's because yeah. like, well, I don't want to have to find another yeah. book. <laughs> like you've got to, your, your reason for going there has to be like legit. Like you've got, you've got a serious reason why you want to be there. Yeah. Um, and then once you enter, you enter into this sort of magical ward where there's no fire, you know, there's because of, you know, books would, you know, all those ancient scrolls would just go up. So, um, and you're, you know, not allowed to use you know, certain magic when you're there. No fireballs um, allowed. No fireballs allowed. There's a so, sign up on yeah, the wall. It's just like strictly no fireballs <laughs> at all. Um, yeah. So, uh, and then you're, you know, you, you sort of make your case and then the, the, the monks who are there, they kind of direct you to other people and, um, and then you're kind of shuttled to where you need to go. And then, um, and then you're allowed to peruse the, the, you know, the grand halls and, and, um, and what they'll do is um, they'll eventually get you to a room where you you just hang out in that room, and then you sort of give your book that you want to um, one of these. Um, I think they're called speakers. Um, mm. One of the speakers, and then um, that that person will then go get your book and bring it back. Oh, so you're not allowed to run roughshod through Candlekeep. However, um, on special cases, and if you appeal to the monk, uh, the the first reader. Um, you're allowed, you know, that, that the first reader might grant you access to, to more and more hidden and more and more sort of grand areas where um, the books are kept. So, so the first reader is the, the leader? Yeah. The, the, the head monk? Yeah, the head monk. And, uh, I like that. Is that for, are there second readers yeah. and third readers? Yeah, and then there's like the, the, the keeper of the green gate. There are all these different um, sort of uh, titles that mm. are there, and I don't remember them all, but... Um, I like there's a hierarchy. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, and you know, some sometimes the first reader doesn't get along with the other one, or there, there's a little jockeying for positions, or or you know, it could be that everybody's you know all hunky dory and it all works out. But um, but yeah, uh, the place runs really smoothly, and there are mysteries in Candlekeep. Like, not all of Candlekeep is completely explored. Um, there may be secret rooms that nobody yet knows about. Um, there are catacombs underneath of it, and some say that there is a spirit of a silver dragon that lives there oh. uh, called Miram. And uh, that's, that's, you might be able to encounter that spirit inside that place. So, that's fascinating. Um, and, you know, thinking about it, it's like, oh, you know, is it, uh, you know, are there rooms that are magical, you know, where books are floating about or, mm. or are there ghosts of uh, ancient scholars that, that, you know, could tell you something? So, yeah, I bet if, you know, the, the kind of closed nature of it as well as the people living there, that there would be lots of people who have died there and oh, yeah. their spirits would be bound to that area if they were so inclined. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you That's know. It's fascinating. Kind yeah. of, it kind of brings in like Hogwarts and, and like all these other things were most likely inspired by Candlekeep. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, yeah. You know, there, there's, you know, uh, so so for uh, Descent to Vernus, um, we knew that you know, you were going to be in Baldur's Gate. You were going to get sort of involved in this in this uh, you know devilish sort of plot, and you were to you know realize at some point like, oh, you know, this we're 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 going to be heading down into the Nine Hills. Nobody knows about this place. What are we going to do? How are we going to deal with this? Oh my gosh! And uh, so part of it directs you the the the, the adventure directs you to um, going to Candlekeep to get information from a diabolist. Um, named Silvera Savickas, and mm. she is a tiefling 
um, who has studied these infernal realms um, because she is she has kind of had her finger on the pulse of what's been going on in in in, in Avernus, and she's had her finger on the pulse of what's going on in the material plane, and she yeah. knows that there's there's doings going on. So, is because well, this relates to to this portion of of what you're talking about. Um, is the the deity and the monks good aligned in in Candlekeep? Yeah. You know, so they're they're generally, you know, uh, oh, yeah. uh, altruistic. They want to help the world. They want to help people. Yeah, um, and does a diabolist in that setting, uh, are they uh, an anomaly? Are they, you know, would you say that they're neutral or, or, or evil aligned or is it, um, well, or, or is she interested in it for the redemption type of thing? Yeah, she's interested in studying it for, to understand your foe, to mm. understand your enemy. I see. Um, and all types of things are studied at Candlekeep. So demonologists are there, um, and we were talking about, well, there's, there's, you know, a tower that is warded and only, you know, experiments for, to create portals, it, you know, and to summon demons and to summon devils and to summon, you know, foul things from the far realms, like things go on in Candlekeep that are dangerous, mm. you know. And so the wizards who are there um, have created um, warded towers that these experiments can take place in, but they can only exist within this tower. I see. Um, they might even create demi-planes within um, Candlekeep that you go to this um, wizard's tower and you'll see a demonologist there and they're like, well, to do this experiment or, or to encounter this this entity, we have to go into this demi-plane that's warded and and then do the experiment in there and then come back and take our notes and write down what we experienced and all oh, cool. that. So. It's kind of like CERN, you know, or, you know, the Manhattan Project, like right. things where there are these tremendous forces that are being toyed with that people aren't so sure what's going to happen. Like there was the idea that they were going to drop the hydrogen bomb and then all of a sudden it was going to ignite the atmosphere. Like that was a real thing. And they were like, well, do we do this? Right. You know, and they're saying, well, my calculations say that it shouldn't do that. So go ahead. Um, <laughs> but so you don't know until you try don't it. Don't know right? until you try it. Yeah. So, and, and that's kind of what a Candlekeep, the fun part of Candlekeep is about is that, that there are these things that are going on in here. They're, you know, like, like I said, studying the far realms, you know, it's like who knows what you're going to contact out yeah. there. And it's full of just really powerful elder gods and, you know, patrons for warlocks. Like you don't want to be monkeying around there, but there, but you know, we must know these things. We must write these books about them. So, so they have these, these scholars and researchers and wizards that are doing this kind of stuff. And, and maybe, you know, who out throughout Candlekeep's history, I'm sure there's been a a moment where that one tower's just gone (laughs) and it's just rained, you know, blocks down. They're like, Oh my gosh, time to rebuild. Yep. Yep. So-and-so must've like forgot to, you know, put their spell up. So, you know, Candlekeep has this history of not only being, you know, the the store of ancient history of, you know, who knows what could be the, the multiverse. Yeah. But they're also at the cutting edge of understanding what magic is, uh, what uh, these what these different planes of existence are. Mm-hmm. Um, be, it's it's full of, of, of that. So in a way, it is, it is like that university setting where... Mm-hmm. There are, you know, you have your, you know, Harvard library and then you have your professors that are sort of stationed and they're doing, you go into their, their office and you see all this weird equipment and you, they're up to these crazy things and they're like, come in, come in, let me show you what I'm doing. Right. And you're like, oh, so, um, 
so yeah, to adventure in Candlekeep is this is the first initial step is is to go into the sort of the keep itself and to to there's a a big sort of grass field that you can kind of sit and discuss you know with scholars and monks and with other visitors there and you can talk about theories and ideas and what they're into and so you can run into so many interesting cool characters that are up to stuff um, and as you get deeper and deeper into these layers, um, you start to learn more and more about the the keep and the, then you get to you know, if you're lucky enough, you can enter the libraries, and then they're just like giant rows of books, you know, that are you know, you know, stories high. And then, if you get into the deeper layers, you can actually enter these towers where the experimentation where the happens. experimentations are happening, and professors and wizards are, are studying things. Right, and that's so. where the the dia- the. Di- <laughs> Diabolist, you yeah. mentioned. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Yes. You have to think about that one before you say it. Yeah. It's like job list. Job. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's where Silver is at, and um, so she's been there for you know. Uh, you have to you have to do a decade of sort of uh, service at Candlekeep before you're actually allowed to be admitted into um, being a resident there. So, so she's been there for a while, and uh, she's done really good work, and she's kind of been you know she's kind of got her renown. And so you um, you meet somebody in Baldur's Gate who who knows what her work is and understands that you know she's sort of the person you need to contact. And yeah. so then that's where you go to sort of get your information and kind of get your feet under you and uh, to uh, or prepare yourself for this adventure that you're going to go on. You're going to go to a, a world and a realm in Avernus that is so alien and so different. And um, we needed sort of like a, a, a way to onboard players who maybe have never heard of the Nine Hills and they don't know anything like that. It's like there might be some players that really know that and they, you know, but metagaming aside, it's like, you know, the characters, none of the characters potentially have ever been there. So right. the characters would not know much, only like things that they've heard from their, you know, when they were wee, wee lads and lasses. Um, <laughs> And then they then they start to get this information, like here's what you're going to be facing, and here's what the devils are like, and here's what you've got to look out for, and here's things to help you out along the way. So that's going to be a great tool for the dungeon master to yeah. get that information across that doesn't feel like I'm the dungeon master yeah. and I'm telling you this stuff. It's yeah. like you know, because I I hope that the players would play their characters in such a way as where they're like, yeah. we need to find out about this before we go in, and yeah. what better place to find it than in a in a location like Candlekeep? Yeah, and so you know, then so you have this this opportunity to study and 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 kind of get information, and you know, something as simple as like you know, silvered weapons. Like, okay, devils, you 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 cannot use your normal swords against them. You know, it's yeah. like you've got to have silvered weapons. Um, at the or, very least, or, or magic items, right? Yeah, or magic uh, weapons. Well, yeah, well, that's with like demons. So if if you oh. if you're like, well, we're gonna go maybe potentially encounter the blood war and there'll be demons down there. It's like okay, and well, now you're gonna need magical weapons to deal with that. So yeah. it's like okay, so these things then start to, and if you know, depending on how what the DM wants to do and how the players sort of approach it, um, it could go into like what does each individual um, devil, what are they like, what. You know, what do you have to look out for when you're facing a chain devil? Or what do you mm. have to look out for when you're facing a, you know, a barb devil or, or a pit, fiend, know, pit or, fiend? Like, yeah. God forbid. Like, if you <laughs> God's heard, forbid. God's, that's right. God's forbid. <laughs> um, so, yeah, if, 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 that, if that's the case, um, you know, what do you have to deal with there? So, um, so yeah, it's a, be a, a giant sort of... Uh, that's, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. You, is there, 
built into the adventure the idea that like you know the player characters might spend a lot of time in Avernus and therefore have more information uh, that is not in Candlekeep about the current state of affairs there. Is there a debrief session yeah. uh, where you go back to Candlekeep and be like, here's everything that we learned? I think that would be totally fun. Yeah. I would, in fact, I'd love that. that. That's a great idea. Um, you know, to have a, maybe there's even a character who's in the party who is sort of a, a scribe. Oh, or a scholar of their own right. Yeah. yeah. And so they're just like, this is awesome. Like, I'm, I get to go with an adventuring party um, down into this this realm, and now I'm going to get to take notes. Yeah. And I'll come back with, you know, a scroll of such value. You know, you present that to the monks at Candlekeep, and they'll be like, roll out the red carpet for you, buddy. Come on in. Yep. You get to be uh, a, a diabolist <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <You're, laughs> yeah. You know, join the for team sure. if you want to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, that that's a cool idea. Yeah, that's really fun. Yeah. I love it. Cool. Yeah. Um, anything else about Candlekeep do you think we should we should get out there? Um, Any fun details, things about... Uh, uh, where exactly is it in the geography of, of the Sword Coast? Yeah, so if you uh, are sailing down the river, Chianthar, and you get to Baldur's Gate, mm-hmm. and then you kind of go south and west and get to the coast. And yeah. Kennel keeps kind of right on a cliff... Uh, like a cliff promontory that kind of goes out into the ocean. And uh, yeah, it's just off this this road. I think it's called the Lion's Way. And you you go down the, this this road from Baldur's Gate and you follow the coastline and you just hop on on this little road and you go up to Candlekeep. So yep, southwest <laughs> of Baldur's Gate. It's uh, not too far. Yeah. I think uh, uh, in the video game Baldur's Gate, it's three screens down and yeah. you know, <laughs> four screen, screens screens west or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, that's right. about right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, in miles, it's about it's it's less than a hundred miles away from, oh, yeah. from Baldur's yeah. Gate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say maybe sixty, sixty miles. The most. All right. So yeah, it's yeah. near enough to to the setting that you're you know it doesn't seem like you have to go on a teleportation circle or anything nope. like that. You'll just travel down the road. No, yep. Hop on a little wagon and truck on truck on down and make sure you bring some books with you make sure you bring some books yeah and you know that's one of the things we put in the adventure is like you know be sure that there are some cool books that people can find because they're going to need their their price i also like the idea of writing your own book just to get into Keep. <laughs> right because hey. what's the definition of a book is yeah it, you know is yeah. it something that uh, uh a book of poems yeah there might be the crappiest poems ever but it's a book that they don't yeah. have and i mean i think that's that's uh that's a you can make a case for that yeah you know, you just show up with the monk and be like hey this is legit and <laughs> if if it is if it's not done uh I think if it's done earnestly, then I think uh, the, the monks monks will let you in. I think uh, it's uh, it's another way to tie it back into yeah. Waterdeep Dragon Heist and have uh, a Volo write some some book for yeah. you to, yeah. to put in there. Yeah, just hope you don't get the grumpy monk that day. He's <laughs> just like, oh, uh, yeah, I've seen this one. Yeah, <laughs> seen this, this is before. derivative of his other work. Yeah, that's right. It's not a real book. Yeah, it's like the... The, the the grumpy college professor that when, you know, I was like writing my paper like at three o'clock that morning and they're just like, dude, really? No. Like this is not gonna, this is not gonna cut it. That was a hard lesson I learned. I remember my <laughs> professor, she was like, <laughs> I had totally flaked on this, this one paper and I tried to write it at the last minute and, uh, and I handed it in and she just tore it, tore me to pieces. And it was great because at that point I was like, yeah, this is not the way I want to present right. myself. The monks at Candlekeep would, uh, would, would, would yeah. not look 
kindly on that, but I'll do you one better. It's a little bit off topic from our Louis Chanel, but yeah. I wrote a paper uh, for uh, an English uh, professor, yeah. and I totally bl- flaked on the, th- we were supposed to write three papers, I wrote two, yeah. uh, and I flaked on the third one, and it was supposed to be like our final. And I was like, oops, didn't know that, <laughs> I didn't write it, and so you know, the, the, the guy was my advisor, so he gave me like an incomplete, and he's like, all right, as long as you get it to me by the end of next semester, it should be fine. I got to the end of the next semester, and I had those two papers, and I'm like, hmm, I'm just going to turn in one of those papers again and see if he remembers. <laughs> and he didn't. So I got I, I, I skated by on turning in the same paper twice. Oh, my God. Uh, and uh, I don't think uh, he would be a good monk at Candlekeep. No, he would not. <laughs> my teacher, on the other hand, would be a great monk. But, oh, my gosh. She taught me a great lesson. That was, that was a thing that, that, that stung for a while, and yeah. uh, from and ever since that moment, I was like, okay, I've got to bring my A game every nice. time. So, and you've been doing it here uh, uh, oh, on the D and D team. Hope so, yeah, nice. Uh, uh, thank you for uh, telling me all about what's going on in Candlekeep. What uh, is your? I mean, I feel like I've asked you four times. What's your Twitter handle so that people can ask oh. you about Candlekeep if they wanted to uh, delve your knowledge it's, more? Uh, at Adam of Adventure. Excellent. Well, yes. I hope more people ask how they can get into your personal candle keep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, I've, I've got all this, like, all these uh, pages of candle keep. And, uh, you know, so depending on how deep the dive, like, it's not all in my, my, my accessible memory right now. But, right. Um, yeah, I can always hit the books and find out all kinds of crazy details. Yeah. Awesome. It's weird. Like, uh, and, you know, some of our resource materials, um, you know, Ed Greenwood has letters from Ed Greenwood just saying, hey, this is what, you know, Kendall keeps all about and they're fun to read. They yeah. are fun. Yeah. yeah. He has got a, you know, similar to you, he's got a wealth of knowledge that is in oh his head, gosh. but then also uh, yeah. on, you know, thousands of pages that he's created. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know. Uh, excellent stuff. Well, he would definitely be a monk. Uh, oh, since he's a librarian. Yeah, he? he is. He's in is his like actual real life librarian. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I feel like it holds a special part in his in his uh, setting yeah. for that reason. Yeah, I've never I haven't had chance ever to sit down with Ed and chat, but that would be probably the first question I'd ask him. Is just like oh, Creighton Candlekey was that just like basically the first thing you made? You know, right. <laughs> like. And uh, I know, like Forgotten Realms was sort of like he created that as a kid. Yeah. But, you know, like later on, you know, when he became an actual librarian, like which came first? Right. Candlekeep or you being a librarian. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. Maybe both. Maybe they have yeah. it simultaneously. Well, yeah. thank you. And uh, we'll be back with some more allure you should know next yes. week. That was a really good lore you should know episode uh, <laughs> and segment. You did a really good job, Adam. <laughs> Why, thank you. Yeah. Your, yeah. your brain has got almost as much in it as uh, a, a Modron. <laughs> <laughs> the clueless one. Yeah. <laughs> no, the primus one. The primus. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. Do that you think be... inside uh, Primus's head uh, is just like this, like Les Claypool um, bass riff going? That sounds very similar to our uh, Shushar. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, um, yeah, Primus. Yeah, he's just got yeah Frizzle Fry going on. Yeah, exactly. Seven. There's more '90s kids references there yeah. than people that <laughs> probably uh, may not know about. Uh, but now we. We are going to talk to you and Mr. Chris Perkins uh, going in depth about uh, creating awesome. the Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus uh, Adventure. Yeah. You ready yeah. to do that? I'm so ready for that. Put on a different hat because we're doing it. <laughs> Whoop. <laughs> no! 
<laughs> Not ready. <laughs> we are so ready to talk uh, Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus with Chris Perkins. Hi. And Adam Lee. Hello. You guys have been working on this project for 1.5 years? 1.5 thousand years. Thousand years. <laughs> yeah, when, when did the conception for uh, this adventure begin? A long time ago. In a galaxy far, far away. Oh, I guess it began oh, yeah, a while ago. We were sitting in a room wondering what we were going to do next in... So been, what, 2017? Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, and we just uh, we started to think that um, having an adventure in the Nine Hells would be interesting. We, we toyed around with a couple of ideas and... Um, I don't actually think I was in that room. I think I came in later at some point. Well, I remember just you and I and Richard chatting about like sort of flavor-wise mm-hmm. what would be uh, a cool place to go. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's a long, hazy, hazy time. But in the, in the mists of memory, yeah. I just remember that there was this point where we're like, okay, we haven't done a significant place in the Nine Hills. We just come off of um, Waterdeep. And uh, we were like, okay, what's what's a what's a, uh, a you know uh, a mood change and a tempo change and all that. And so yeah, and then we just kind of settled on that and got greenlit and away we went. That's something that's really exciting about our our fifth edition releases is that these adventures have been very different feeling over the mm-hmm. last five years, right? Yeah, yeah. You know? and will continue to be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so going from uh, 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 you know the the jungles of Chult uh, from. The mists of Strahd, you know, to uh, a, a very city-based thing, to now this having these extra planar uh, uh, beings be a, a bit of a focus in Avernus, but then also having Baldur's Gate be a, a location that we haven't explored yet in Fifth yeah. Edition. At what point did Baldur's Gate come into the equation? It came in, um, well, you know, I had worked on it with the team for a while, and we had a, a whole thing, our story already figured out, and then Baldur's Gate kind of came in at that point. And it was like, oh, we've got some things in the works and we want to have Baldur's Gate featured. And it was like, okay, we mm-hmm. can do that. And it was one of those deals where you know, I thought, okay, I can sort of fit it in there. And then the more I started to pull on the thread of the story to try to weave Baldur's Gate into it, the more the whole thing unraveled. <laughs> and so it was one of those where it was just like, ah, scrap it and let's re- rethink it. So, And then we had to rethink it with like how are we going to put Baldur's Gate in there and that kind of kind of broke the flow of the story because the, mm. the story originally was just going to be like you know you're trucking along and doing things and then bam you're, you're now right now, you're right now in the nine hells and you got to figure it out and the whole you know thing and then, then it was like well no now we've got to feature some Baldur's Gate into that then it's like now that that's got to breathe and then then you go into the nine hells and, and then you've got to have this, uh, this uh, adventure in Avernus and so then it was like a lot of figuring out pacing and figuring out like, well, how does it all connect? And so, right, what can we do in Baldur's Gate to reinforce some of the themes that yeah. you'll get later on? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I love how fluid uh, adventure writing can be, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, th- things yeah. come up in writing or you know through external pressures that uh, allow you to come up with ways, and it's very similar to how a dungeon master reacts to their players or other yes. things going on. Very much so. Yeah. Um, so uh, you know, I can see I can see it being a challenge trying to be like, oh, how do we get this in there? But you know, the 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 brain trust of everybody here working on D and D was able to to mm-hmm. kind of figure out, and you know, I can't wait for people to yeah. to to cool. get this book and see it and and see how it flows. I bet it will be seamless. And a lot, a lot of our adventure stories are are sort of there's a there's a think tank that happens. It's not just one person in a room trying to hash it out by themselves. There's you know 
Adam, as leading this story, could draw upon whatever resources he wanted to in terms of creative spirit, creative energy. He could just put people in a room. And so. Yeah. Yeah, that was the great thing. It's just like, you know, if I have a particular question or a particular thing and, and, and you know, I can pick anybody in the, in the, in the building and, and they are on the team, D&D team, and they, they've, you know, there's experts in different areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, you know, get to go reach outside the walls and, and pick from, you know, any number of really talented and, and passionate people that, uh, you know, just would love to, you know, kind of put their, put their stamp on it. And, uh, you know, that's yeah. kind of what we did. So if you were to, uh, you know, describe to someone what are the major themes of this adventure, uh, you know, what, what would they be? Hmm. Uh, well, I think, <laughs> uh, I would say the probably the one that really sticks out for me is that um, temptation that you are mm. you are and corruption that um, you've got to hold out against the forces of evil and that you've got to find your heroic spirit somewhere and you're going to be tempted at every step. Tempted for power, for for monetary type things. Um, tempted for yeah, your 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 soul, really. I mean, mm. like what you value as a human being, and what you, I mean, you'll you'll you know, your greed will be tempted, your desire for power will be tempted, your um, your ability to cut corners will be tempted. So yeah. yeah, and that works for both players and characters. Oh yes, indeed. I think the other one besides temptation is redemption. Ah, yeah, the idea that. Even the most evil creatures have the potential to be redeemed under the right circumstances, mm. and that that sort of is aimed squarely at Zariel, the the archdevil, who we've talked about numerous times now. She is the leader of one of the layers of the nine hells, but she used to be an angel, and so is there a chan- Is there a way to solve this story to come out of it alive? Yeah, with her emerging with you as a redeemed figure. Yeah. And if you've done bad things, is the redemption for you as well? I love that as a theme because it feels very human, especially right now, right? That there mm-hmm. are, there are mm-hmm. evil things that are happening uh, uh, and that we all as, as humans, you know, do mistakenly or, or yes. not. And is there any, uh, anything that can be done as a, as a mea culpa or as a way to, to uh, uh, you know, yeah go past that. Yeah, as creatives, we would be lying if we said that our work is not influenced by what's what happens in the world around us. It's yeah. it's just something that we accept and you know, there are parts of the world and stuff which is kind of a hellscape and so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're kind of, you know, in in the moment and yeah. and dealing with things that maybe are being dealt with. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and in, in our psyches, yeah. yeah. And I think it's a way for us to maintain our sanity as creatives. I think, you know, part of being a writer and part of being a creative person is like, is feeling a little too severely what's going on. And there's got to be a, an outlet for that. And, and I think through art, you know, artists and writers and, you know, musicians, they all, they're all kind of doing the same thing. Is like, how do I get this feeling out? And how do I feel like I'm helping out the planet or helping out humankind in my own little little way right yeah. so yeah yeah and I, mean, I think Dungeons and Dragons you know uh, has in recent times felt like this uh, salve uh, for a lot of people right mm-hmm. that that you know that w- the hellscape that's going on around us 
we can have some con- measure of control over what our player characters do and the stories and how they resolve themselves yes. and feel that we have accomplished something, yeah. even if it is in a fantasy world that's in your exactly. imagination amongst your friends, it still yeah. can have those same emotional ties to, to right. what's happening. Yeah, and and there, there's a lot of good that can come out of you know stealing an infernal war machine and just running over a bunch of evil creatures. <laughs> 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 but it also lets us, you know... Um, Showcase showcase bright brightness. Uh, yeah. It's not all doom and gloom here. That's how Lulu yeah. came about. I don't know if we've ever talked about her. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about Lulu. I know we've talked about the, uh, that character internally a lot, but was that was that your creation, Adam? Um, that actually was. Uh, yeah. That, I mean, I, 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 it was. A, you know, I suggested a Holly fan, but then you know other people all kind of pitch in. So you know. Um, but yeah, Lulu was uh, you know this this holophant that um, was uh, a, a you know a companion of Zeriel's, and um, she then becomes this um, this innocent sort of guide through Avernus. She's lost her memory, and she's you're trying to piece the parts together through mm-hmm. her her uh, her memories, which are which have failed her. And um, but yeah, she is this bright you know. It's like there are these. Um, you know, one of the things we were cognizant about was how do we put moments of brightness and moments of levity and moments of fun in a dark world like like Avernus, mm-hmm. and um, and Lulu was one of those, definitely one of those characters to do that. Can you describe uh, what a, what a Holly Fanta is, uh, so uh, our listeners can hear? I think you're probably best qualified <laughs> to describe a Holly Fanta. So a Holly Fanta has a, a storied history in D anD D and has been around since the first edition Monster Manual two. Essentially, it is a tiny golden winged elephant oh. <laughs> of of kind spirit who values friendship and, and truth and valor. And that was a companion of Zeriel when she was a celestial. Correct. Uh, and then Hollyfans can also blow sprinkles out of their nose. <laughs> <laughs> sparkly. They got a sparkly. Uh, Cone blast of positive energy. I yeah. think that's a very important detail that I think players will latch onto a lot. <laughs> uh, I can see many, many player characters just yeah. being like, "Oh, and by the way, shower of they're, sparkles." They're not to be trifled with, though. They're dangerous little creatures. If you, if you, you know, get their get their hackles up, because not only can they use their trumpet to blow sparkles of positive energy, which, by the way, evil creatures don't like, will damage no. them. Even yeah, right. exactly. Um, but they can also use their horn as a, or their, their trumpet blast as a horn of blasting. Oh. Um, yeah. Like so knocking do down thunder walls damage. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So oh, wow. They're, they're, and they got some funky spellcasting abilities, too. What's the CR of, uh, of a Holly fan? Oh, I think Not it's, like to put you on the spot, but I like, think it's like, well, I can just look it up. Oh, right, we have the book. The book. What does the book say? Nice. It uh, is uh, challenge rating five. Five. You were right. For a small celestial, and part of that stems from the fact that they've got some juicy innate spellcasting ability. I, but yeah, yeah, the trumpet of blasting and the trumpet of sparkles are my favorite part. Sweet. Um, and then you can use that character uh, as an NPC to potentially, you know, help the the players along and yeah. or get some information about what's happening. Yeah, and uh, you know, the the, the DM can, um, <clears throat> if the DM wants to, they can, you know, they can be. be uh, Lulu through the adventure and you know kind of embody that character and and throw oh, in like idea. fun stuff for it but also we've given them the option to if the if the DM's like I've got too many things to think about they can give Lulu uh, as a as an NPC to run for and a player who wants to run Lulu. Yeah. One of the good things about Lulu is if the characters are tempted and she's there she'll be like don't do that. 
Yeah. She can be your conscience. Yeah, she's she could be your moral compass. She's right. a Jiminy Cricket. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a yeah. good way to think yeah. of it too. Yeah. I like that um uh she also has a specific knowledge of what happens when you do become mm-hmm. corrupted. Yes. Right. Yeah. So she's like, Don't do that because I know what'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> Horn of blasting. <laughs> yeah. But she, she has this positive spirit of optimism. She thinks Zariel can be redeemed. Yeah. At least she hopes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's probably where the player characters will get that. Inclination. They from, might get right? that seed. Like it, it's not intuitive that an archdevil can be redeemed. Yeah, but <laughs> right. if Lulu says she can be, then maybe, then maybe. maybe so. Yeah, yeah. Lulu be. hasn't steered us wrong so far. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's that awful DM who will be like, "Oh, by the way, that wasn't a, that wasn't Lulu. <laughs> that was uh, uh, you know uh, the Asmo- Asmodeus all along. That was Glor Glamok. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, very cool. Uh, so. Uh, more about uh, Avernus itself and how uh, players like what's it, once they get transported into there, uh, what can they experience? Like, what does it smell? What does it feel like? What does it look like when you're there? Well, it's awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. Uh, there is a section um, in the book that talks about just that hell is not fun. The nine hells are terrible. It's uh, and it's not meant to be any kind of goodness in there, and uh, and that the food tastes. Terrible and the water. Tastes Even food like, that you bring with you and water yeah. to taste with you doesn't taste right. In, oh, in Ooh, that's that's yeah. almost more terrifying than anything else you guys have ever described. Yeah, me. it's it's pretty nasty. We describe it in some visceral detail. So, um, <laughs> it's uh, it can it it. it it's it's nasty. Yeah. Well, I think um, I remember once when we were, we were just kind of uh, you know kind of working through this and. There was this section where there was like, oh, this this devil is like, re- you know, lounging on satin sheets. And I remember Chris wrote back. He's like, this shouldn't ever be satin sheets in hell. Like, just- <laughs> <laughs> just- I'm like, any everybody in hell, including the devils who live there, are never never get what they want. Mm. <laughs> they never get the promotion that they want. They never, you know, get the accolades that they feel they're entitled to. Oh. Everything is just slightly in- uncomfortable. Like you can't even find a comfortable chair in hell. Yeah. It's uh. like there's that part of the chair that sticks up in your ass, right? And sort of pokes you. every single time. Every single every single chair in hell has something like that. <laughs> um, so nobody nobody's happy because nobody feels like they're getting what they want. Even when they get what they want, there's something about the nature of hell that makes them unsatisfied with what they got. Oh, interesting. So like you know, so you'd be craving defeating your enemy, and then all right. of a sudden you you defeat your enemy, and right. you're like, oh, but because that- hell is hell, it's. Mm. You you want to feel like you're in your own personal hell when you're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a place where you're like, oh, we could we could stay here. This is cool. Like, <laughs> it's not. It's 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 a place where the more you're there, the more you are like, I cannot stand another day here. I've got to get out. I've got to get out of here. And uh, and it because of its nature. And you know, there was like you know a lot of metaphysical conversations we had about it. Just like wh- what is the nature of this thing? Like the people the. You know that the souls that are drawn here were evil in in on the material plane, and they're drawn here, and they are actually continuing this this evil trajectory of their existence, and by their own nature, it's it's warped. You know, I think it's kind of a co-creative way. It's like hell, the nine hells warps the people, but they the, also the evil energy that they have are warping the the environment around them. So it's sort of this vicious circle. Oof. So um, and to interrupt that. For a, for a being to interrupt that um, takes an incredible force of will. So one of the, the other themes of this book is like that the the righteous path is is the most difficult path. Mm. That to actually walk through and resist it all, and to resist just the weight of it, 
um, takes an incredible force of will to do it. And, um, and all these things are just designed to irritate you and to, to make it uncomfortable and to, to not reward um, reward you. So, yeah. yeah. So even though it sounds like the most awfulest place uh, ever described in a, in a D&D book, probably even worse than the Underdark, um, there is a lot of information in there for running an adventure, uh, you know, obviously that, that falls in the storyline of mm-hmm. Descent to Avernus, but you can run this adventure, uh, a location of your own uh, uh, devising, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's yeah, a yeah. gazetteer in there about what it feels like, and, mm-hmm. and, 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 yeah. and DMs could use that information to tell any story that they want to tell. Absolutely. And yeah. there are little, little tricks and things you, they, it, the, the book has as well to help you mechanically get across that idea. Mm. Yeah. How, how, what are some of those? Well, let's look one up. <laughs> <laughs> Since we have the book. You know, I always like looking for like, specific examples. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, lo- I just love that idea that people can use this. I mean, this is something we were talking about uh, earlier, that like there's, there's parts of this book that can be used to tell the specific story that we're telling, but that you can use it to tell whatever story you want. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you can take this whole book and pull out pieces and parts that you like and make up your own adventure and uh, yeah, go for it. So um, one of the, in, in the um, section on everyone's unhappy, one of the... <laughs> Is that the subhead? Yeah. yeah. Everyone's unhappy? <laughs> Sounds like an REM song gone wrong. <laughs> Everyone's unhappy. Yeah. Uh, sorry, there's a page in here uh, called Life in the Nine Hells. And it, it, it captures all a lot just in this one page. But one of the specific ideas that a DM can use to reinforce this is if a character rolls a natural one on an attack roll made with a non-magical weapon, mm-hmm. you can decide that the weapon breaks. Nice. I like getting some <laughs> critical fumble yeah. stuff back in yeah. there. Yeah, there's a little bit of that Yeah, sort of sprinkled through. Just, just little ideas, throw ideas. It's not something you have to do all the time. You know, you can just decide to do it once. Right. And, but it gets the idea across right away. Right, that things in yeah. here are yeah. designed to be, to, even if you defeat exactly. it, you know, kill the, the enemy with a sword, that yeah. sword is, has the potential yes. to, to, to blow up in your face. And then there's a section called Everything's Awful. Um, and one of the, <laughs> one of the interesting ideas there is, uh, or things you can do is, if a character commits a selfish act, you can reward that selfishness by granting that character inspiration, but unlike regular inspiration, the benefit can't be transferred. Oh, so uh, <laughs> it's like hell rewarding you for being for being selfish, selfish, and tempting you to be selfish again. Right? Yeah, uh, that's interesting. I, I you know, uh, the inspiration mechanic I think is one that I, I wish more people used because mm-hmm. it's a great it's a great reward. Yeah. Um, and uh, not as many people use that transferring uh, uh, thing. Correct. Right? Yeah. You know. So here's a way to get that across, but also take it away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, this this kind of harkens back to. Um, when we were working on Waterdeep and, you know, Chris had mentioned like, you know, Waterdeep is it, the city itself is a character. And so we were talking about that and it's like, then from that came this little list of things of like, if you're a good person to Waterdeep, Waterdeep's actually good to you. Mm. And so if you do a lot of good things, then you're running down the street and um, you're being chased. Uh, an old an old shopkeeper will open the door and say, "Come in quick and help you out." And you can duck in and can hide, or push a cart out in front of the people pursuing you to so that they trip over so that you can get away. Things yeah. like that. Yeah. And so from that came this this thing of like you know what what is what is what is the nine hell what are the nine hells doing to you as you as you enter there? Except it's all bad. <laughs> like <laughs> nothing good. Doesn't matter. You doesn't can, matter. You if can you do be anything. good to this place and it'll just still be bad to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. And then one of the one of the fun details that I think we've latched onto for for D and D live, uh, as well as uh, um, you know, in the creation of an actual physical item, is the soul coin. 
Can you talk a little bit about how you guys came up with that? I think, wasn't it Jim Zub who, who, who yeah. came up with that? So, I mean, I, I remember talking in the, the, the meetings that we had and um, like, what is the currency of hell? And, you know, what is the economy? How does, how do things get bought and sold here? And we kind of knew that with the souls were traded back and forth. But then Jim, Jim had this idea that what if it's the souls are actually encased in a, in a, an iron coin? And, uh, and then that was, that was that moment where we're like, oh, that's great. That's great. And now, now, now what can we do with these things? And yeah, what can players do with those things? What can they do, Chris? <laughs> well, um, so one of the things that they can do is they can use them to fuel infernal war machines. Ah. Uh, these, these rambling, horrific vehicles that you can trundle across Avernus in. And uh, they're powered by souls, and soul coins are basically portable souls. So you can just pop them in like a slot machine into these machines and power them for a certain amount of time. And then your furnace is full of a tortured soul that's screaming merrily away. <laughs> and you're just burning it, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you know, it's, it's probably an evil soul, so eh, whatever. And you <laughs> let it scream, and you just tear across the landscape. Oh, God, that's one of those things where you're like, well, it'll, yeah. it, it has a purpose, but it'll right. also feel really bad when you do it. Or uh, there's this traveling emporium, the wandering emporium that wanders Avernus, and it's run by a, a charming fellow named Mahadi. Uh, he takes soul coins in exchange for um, all the things that he can offer. Mm. Um, he runs a restaurant slash spa called Infernal Rapture. Even though it tastes horrible. They it still... doesn't there. Oh. Because oh. he has struck a deal yes. with, the, with an archdevil to get around that. So if you want a good meal... This is the only place you can get it. This is the place you go and get it. But oh. it's going to cost you a soul coin. That's cool. Yeah. So wow. you, you're tired of eating bile? Okay. <laughs> Here you go. Here's a place where you can have a, a beautiful steak and some mashed potatoes and some, you know, collard greens or whatever, and um, it'll taste just like you remember it back on the material plane, if not better. And is it actual? Here's a question: Is it actual food? Yes, he goes far and wide to to collect the the finest ingredients mm-hmm. and the finest food. Oh, okay, so and okay. you can thank you can thank Chris Lindsay for the Wandering Emporium and Mahadi and his hospitality. I love yeah. that. I love that whole idea of the Wandering Emporium. We obviously, you know, were able to uh, bring it to life during D and D live, so people got to you yeah. know, have have a little bit of taste of that, but. Um, I think the, the the version of it in the the story is even more fantastical and, and, mm-hmm. and amazing. Yeah, but hell is all about making deals, and Mahadi's made some good ones to sort of get around some of the problems yeah. that many people deal with in hell. Right. Uh, how do you find the Wandering Emporium? When it, you're in the hell? Wandering Emporium actually can find you. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah it, it can show up anywhere at any time, and it's it's a DM tool that the DM can use. Like mm. if the players are, you know, they're adventuring off and then they're wandering and they need something to, you know, kind of interact with, the Wandering Emporium can show up. Or if the the adventurers are lost and they're, you know, or they they need food or they need some kind of they need their weapons are broken and they need repairs. So you can get all these different things at the Wandering Emporium. Um, you know, you can get your weapons fixed. You can get demon ichor. You can get all kinds of uh, materials. And uh, so it's a tool for the DM to be like, okay, here's, here we can now level them up or help them out or give them a boost or actually give them a nice warm meal and a nice place to stay. Um, it can also be a place where if the as the adventurers have gone on their, their quests, they, they rack up enough soul coins that they need to spend them. Um, the Wandering Porn is a place where you can actually then kind of unload some of your soul coins and get some stuff. Or at least tempt the players to want to sure. unload them. Correct. Right? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And you can get a haircut at the Wandering Emporium. Oh. Yes. Uh, all kinds Something of Something else about the so soul coins are magic items, and in addition to using them as currency, they actually have some benefits in and of themselves. Oh, just by possessing them? That, yeah, that, yeah. Do you have to attune to them in order to get those? Uh, you don't. Oh, okay. Um, well, that's even an, an, another so added a, bonus. There's a certain weight to carrying them. I won't go into too much detail there, but you may not be able to carry too many of them um, be, because of just the burden. And is it true that on. some are heavier than others? They're, they're, all, they're all heavy, equally heavy. Um, oh, okay. But you are somewhat limited. Evil creatures aren't burdened by carrying them. Oh. But good creatures feel the weight. Um, but you can use a soul coin, which has three charges, to drain some of the soul's essence out of there. Um, to heal you? Or to gain just temporary to hit points. Temporary hit points. It doesn't heal, mm. but you gain a boost. That's, <laughs> um, might, be, might be handy. You can also telepathically reach out to the soul in the coin and fra- sort of phrase a query and get an answer from oh, it. Oh, like a speak with dead. knowledge. Type yeah, of, type of deal. exactly, and there's some limits there there as well. But it's kind of a chilling idea that you can actually communicate with this tortured thing that's stamped uh, and trapped yeah. in this form. And then if they don't answer your questions, and you can feel totally justified <laughs> putting it in and having their soul burn, poop like, gone. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, next one. <laughs> but that, uh, do the souls within those coins do they have any? other way to do they see around them not or really it's just that one connection yeah. you can have if you're holding it you They're can just have a conversation a dark prison basically I see and that's kind of one of the things we wanted to do is like have it that you know at first this thing seems really weird and strange and then as you get you know into this adventure you're kind of throwing around soul coins like they're nothing. <laughs> you just sort of forget. <laughs> and you just sort of forget. And then, but somebody hopefully in the party is like, what are we doing? We've got the souls of people doing? that we're people. burning. Yeah. Are we as bad as the devils yeah. around yes, us? Yes, and, yes, can, and then can you, <laughs> <laughs> and then can you, can you, if, if, if there is a pang of conscience and then it's like, okay, we got to throw these things out. And can we get through this adventure without using soul coins? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a big question, you know, and, and then it, things get really hard, you know. So. Is there a, um, a relative value for them? I, I think I remember you guys mentioning this at some point where, you know, uh, the, the soul coin from a, uh, from a paladin or, or, or someone who was righteous at one point in their lives and yeah. then became corrupted might be more valuable to specific people in, in, in hell. Exactly. Certain fiends um, do place a higher stock in having, owning a soul coin that has, say, a paladin trapped inside it than some lowly criminal. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. those are a dime a dozen. Tons right. of criminals yeah. can be crafted, but you know, the, uh, a, a you know uh, a denizen of, of Lathander might be more mm-hmm. valuable than anything else. Yeah. yeah, and if you also, if you know, if, should you survive this adventure and get out to the material plane, and you take one of these with you, it's like you know maybe or the, or there are you know interdimensional travelers that are in. Avernus, they might actually be like, hey, you know, we we'd like to take one of those, you know, and you might actually be able to trade it for, you know, gold or something, magical item or something like that. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, so because because it is an item, you can take yeah. it back to the material plane. Mm-hmm. Yep. What yeah. what powers does it have there? Same, same, same. Yeah. yeah. Same weight. Yeah. Yeah. So you might find a, a you know diabolical scholar, you know, who's like, I've heard of these. I've never been able to get one. Right. You know? and, and you're evil, so great. I'll hand yeah. it to you. I'll yeah. give you three scrolls for your soul coin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, will you be redeemed after making that choice? So I don't know. <laughs> uh, probably not. Probably no. not. No. no, you're you're full evil now. 
Um, so we've talked a lot about uh, what the, the part of the adventure that's in uh, Avernus. Uh, let's go a little bit into uh, the material side of things a little bit more since that's where we're going anyway. Yep. Um, so Baldur's Gate is not much more of a non-hellscape than, than, than hell is, right? Uh, for some. for some. <laughs> Voted worst city in Faroon. A <laughs> hundred years running. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a dreadful place. Um, <laughs> we deal with it in, in fairly good detail here. So, like Similar to Waterdeep Dragon Heist, where we had a section of the book that was essentially a, a gazetteer. Um, outside of the adventure, it sort of exists on its own as a catalog of important things you need to know about the city. Yeah. We emulated that here, but with Baldur's Gate. And in Waterdeep and Baldur's Gate, you really have opposite sides of a coin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could not be more unlike, other than their size, their personality is completely different. Oh, Baldur's yeah. Gate is a, a, a terrible place. It's, it's violent. It's vicious. There is order in the form of a government, and we've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. But there's the upper class people who are protected behind their high walls on the hill. And then there's everybody else who's just like rats <laughs> scavenging for whatever's left. Right. And eking out a <laughs> merciless living while criminals and others prey on them uh, and you know pirates and all their sordid lot and then cultists of the dead three um, who indiscriminately murder people and let blood course through the streets like rain mm. is it, it's a place where might makes right yes if you have bodyguards great yeah. um, you can probably get through town without being mugged or otherwise molested if you're on your own watch your back mm. Trust that the fog is your only ally. Um, but <laughs> Just beware the fog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But beware of the fog because there's stuff lurking in there around every alleyway waiting to jump you and take your money purse and maybe your life. Ouch. So, so how, do, how, do, how does the, the adventure open? Like how do we get to Baldur's Gate? Very good question. It, it starts with a calamity that's affected another city nearby mm. and caused a surge of refugees to show up on Baldur's Gate's um, <laughs> Perimeter. The best place to go to if you're a refugee. <laughs> it's, if it's all you got, you'll yeah. take it, right? Um, but they're not allowed in. The Flaming Fist, which is a mercenary company that polices Baldur's Gate, has yeah. basically shut the city to hold these refugees out. But it's created a bit of a stir, and some of the refugees have managed to sneak in. Um, but it's taxed the, the Flaming Fist during a crisis where cultists of the Dead Three are murdering people. They've sort of, these cultists who had been kind of beaten down and thought to have been eliminated have arisen again. Something about the Dead Three is arising again. Mm. And so the Flaming Fist comes to the adventurers and says, hey, look, we're busy with refugees. We need you to find out where these cultists are coming from and take them out. And you are given as characters, and this is unusual, this certainly wouldn't happen in Waterdeep, but you're given free reign to take out the cultists by any means necessary. Dead or alive, or dead just or dead, alive. dead. And, and the Flaming Fist says, we don't care who you have to cut your way through. We don't care what you have to do, how many buildings you have to burn down. Do what it takes. Take them out. Wow. And so the characters have carte blanche. And that is very interesting to me because it sets up perfectly that your characters may be deserving of being in Avernus. Yeah. Because mm, of right. the ends justifying the means and how, like, yes. yeah. And one of the things that was developed for Baldur's Gate is this idea that your party, in addition to having your backgrounds and all the things that normal characters do when they start off their adventure careers, Mm -hmm. 
you can, um, with this book, come up with a dark secret that unites your party. Okay. And that dark secret is tied to something in Baldur's Gate. Um, something you did as a group or something that you're some, something that you've become involved with mm. that can sort of link your party together but also create that sense that if someone were to find out what your party's dark secret is, that could be very bad for you. Mm. I see. But it, it sort of captures the flavor and feeling of the people who live there. Yeah. There's a reason your party is in Baldur's Gate. This dark secret might be that reason. I see. What, and is it a table or something that you can roll yeah, there's, on? There are choices that you can make and then choices within choices based on the general idea. For, and what I mean by that is... Um, like it's the type of thing... And that we can would... be specific here, right? So, sure. Um, you can decide that your dark secret is built around a conspiracy of some mm. kind. In which case, if you decide conspiracy is the thing that is your secret, there are different conspiracies that you can sort of choose from or roll from or decide on. If murder is the thing that unites your party, that's a separate section and talks about what is the choices that you get. What are the choices? What is what is the murder that unites you? Yeah. Theft is another possibility. Your party is united by a theft. Your party can also be united by a failed coup. Oh, in Baldur's Gate? Gate. That somehow you were involved involved with. So you pick one of those four uber ideas, and then within each each of those, it gets specific. And you can start to nail down the specificity. How are you all involved? How are each of you, what are each of your roles Mm. in that dark secret? You know, were you an instigator in the murder? Or were you a quiet voyeur? Yeah. You know? Right. And b- both of those have weight to them, but yes, different weights. Exactly. Yeah. And so you kind of build that together as an exercise during the party creation process at the start of the campaign. Right. Before you get into the whole, let's hunt down cultists and burn half the city down in the process. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I love that too, because that sets up the, the theme that you were talking about in redemption. Like, yes. you know, if you have this dark secret, you know, and you go through all of the yeah. machinations and tribulations that will ensue in this adventure, you know, could you ultimately be making enough choices right. that yes. are for the greater good or are you just evil and as a group of you know players you, you know you can think well right off the bat do we lean into this and do yeah. we say yeah we're a bunch of jerks and let's let's go all the way yeah. and then and then then when you go into avernus you're like ha, 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 you know yeah or do you right off the bat say oh my gosh you know what we've done something terrible and how do we how do we get in how do we get out of this? Yeah. And there's a neat little part where that somebody knows, some, an NPC in the adventure knows of your dark little secret uh, and you run into them and then what does that then mean? what do you do? What do you right. do? It's the classic yeah. D&D question. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so Baldur's Gate, structurally, the, the characters that you meet in the course of completing your, your quest there, um, they are in some ways um, reflections of what you're going to meet later on in hell. Yeah. The villains are basically devils in human form in a way. They're, they're humans with the characteristics of devils. They're greedy, they're manipulative, they're tyrannical, and so you get a taste of hell before you enter hell. Yeah, right. Well, I think that's why uh, including a city like Baldur's Gate yeah. in this uh, makes so much and sense. Hell, and the Nine Hells is so ir- irrevocably corrupt. Right. What you can see here is that Baldur's Gate is one step away. Yeah. From being in hell. And what I like about 
all these themes and everything in here too is that you know there's been I'm sure you've heard the term of murder murder hobos yes right and how sometimes the D and D party can resort into um, doing things that are morally not you know you wouldn't think of heroes doing yeah. mm-hmm. um, but it's all to get gold or to get experience and to kill as many monsters as you can and and you know there's no other yeah. uh, things there and there you know. That term can be like, yeah, you know, some players are like, yeah, I'm proud to be a murder hobo, and some are like, eh, I'm not sure this is the, the fantasy that I wanted, and I yeah. like that this book really just puts that, you know, up front and up it the does, center. but you don't have to be a murder hobo, right? You can you can err on the side of caution and still succeed, and you know, navigate the, the challenges of Baldur's Gate and accomplish your goals without going around and killing everybody. But if that if that's the way you want to go, Baldur's Gate is probably the one place you can get away with it. And I, and I think that this is one of those um, – <laughs> there's something about this adventure that feels like that uh, – uh, gosh, it was an old – I might have been a Disney cartoon where it was Goofy as a father being like, what? You want to you wanna have candy? Here, have as much candy as you want. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, you know, they're almost force-feeding the, the, yeah. the kid as much candy. And you're yeah. like, well, wait a second. That's, that's not what I want. I don't want to be sickened right. by all of this – you know, sugar or all these yeah. evil mm-hmm. murder hobery type deals that we're yeah. doing. You know, and then so it's putting it in its bald bald face when you're like, all right, well, all the things that you do as adventurers in all of our stories that we've reached yeah. out to, like, yeah. is that really how you want to act? And exactly shows it. And the trick is, I think, in an adventure is to also show the characters that even in a place like Baldur's Gate, there are glimpses of light, um, individuals that you can run across that don't feel like they almost belong there in a way. Yeah. But they remind you that there is goodness in the world yeah. and that you can go that way. Yeah, I think that's going to be uh, an important thing in yeah. this for DMs. And also that it's to have it feel refreshing, like mm-hmm. to, to get that stark like, oh, that person feels refreshing. And why are they refreshing? Oh, because they're not a jerk. You know, they're not <laughs> trying to manipulate me. They're not trying to – they're operating on a different frequency. So – it, it's it's like those things to slap people awake, or like I was always thinking of like the end of Lord of the Rings, where Frodo finally he's like, I forgot the taste of strawberries. Like it just sucks. Like and he finally gets out of Mordor, he doesn't, and then they're all fresh back at you know Rivendell, and they're just happy. And it's like that feeling of like, oh, now I really value like mm-hmm. the material plane. I really value peace. I really Small, value simple pleasures. Yeah. yeah, just people being honest. I really value this stuff, and it's like that like. Bang, you know, to hit people. And so the, you know, that feeling is something that I think we really wanted to strike home in this adventure. Like, you, you not only do you get to experience, you know, the, the terribleness, but you also really value the, the purity and of goodness the and points and, of light that and are how that you do find. relaxing that feels and just yeah. how nice that feels. It's like, oh, I value that. You know, now I'm willing to fight for it, you know. So as people are, um, you know, preparing to to run this adventure, uh, I think Dungeon Masters will be uh, challenged by uh, a couple of things that you guys mentioned was the pacing as well as not making it feel like it's just bleakness all the time, right? So um, you've already described a few tools that are there in the book mm-hmm. to make that happen, but, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit about how and when you could use those in a session uh, and, uh, you know, how to take cues from your, your players in, in that way with this adventure. Well, I mean, one of the things you could do is, you know, there is no set way to run a devil. Um, you know, you can you can make them silly. You know, you can make them kind of Disney devils where they're like, you know. So <laughs> you don't necessarily have to go with the hard theme of this. Like you don't you could you could run it where it's kind of funny through the whole thing, and it kind of if your players you feel that your players just they aren't they're, they're that 
it's not their jam. Um, so you can ad- adjust this for your players, but you you know you can um, you know turn it up and and run devils being really Machiavellian, and so it it really just depends on your player group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, levity is going to be a huge part of this, you know, so that it just doesn't, you know. I mean, I, yes, I, I think I think some of it will come out um, in just naturally based on some of the choices of stuff that we put in the adventure, like. I'm not giving too much away here, but the villains, some of the villains in Baldur's Gate, there's a family of them and they're just terrible. <laughs> but they've got a, the family cat <laughs> is a, a, a hoot. Yeah? Yeah. It's a real character, <laughs> this family cat. And this cat does not like being in the family. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of a rebel, it's like the rebellious family element uh, in the story. Interesting. And you can befriend this cat and it can help you and that's just a strange idea, right? Yeah. It's sort of a funny, quirky thing when you finally meet this feline character. Mm-hmm. Um, not not a uh, tabaxi, but not an a actual, tabaxi, but an actual an cat. Act- yeah, it, it's it's the family house cat, um, and uh, it breaks. It's it's so unexpected in a way yeah. that I think it's it it'll it's one of the many kind of breaks that Adam was talking about. Those little slaps in the face of surprise. It's not as bad as you thought, or you know, this this story isn't going the way you think it might. Yeah. Um, and I think there's enough of those seeded throughout Baldur's Gate and through Avernus that you will never be. I don't think the players will be oppressed for too long. Mm. You know. Right. Yeah. I think that's really important because you, do, you yeah. just don't yeah. want to necessarily. So, um, I mean, it's with yeah. any any piece of creative uh, creative. Story I'm not saying on. we did it regularly, but it's like okay. Every four pages of this book, we need to put something in there. <laughs> There's got to be a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's why um, one, of the char- one of the NPCs that M.T. Black created mm-hmm. is a wizard who decide- polymorphed himself into an otter. <laughs> or was polymorphed into an otter and decided he liked being an otter more than he liked being a human. Oh, man. That <laughs> so you get sounds meet- like my type of person. <laughs> exactly. And so you yeah. get to meet this otter archmage. <laughs> um, at a point in the adventure. And it's, it's a beautiful break, right? And it's a quirky, fun character. It's like, okay, well, okay, that, now we're four pages deeper into this book. We need another something like that, right? Like, just, <laughs> you didn't think about it that programmatic, but you it, did. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I can't promise you every four pages you're going to find a fun, quirky character. But throughout the book, these elements exist. Yeah, and there's enough of things in here where they, um, <clears throat> there's like NPCs all scattered about. And these NPCs can show up in unlikely times. So, uh, so a DM can use them. Like there's uh, Mad Maggie's gang. There's Chuck and Clonk. There are these two um, Kenku, you know, uh, brothers that are, you know, goofballs. And, um, <laughs> you know, they can show up and, you know, create that moment uh, yeah. of the, what breaks it. There's, you know, the, the otter wizard that there's could... Smiler. There's Smiler, yeah. Smiler, Although, the defiler. Yes. He's a... Yeah. He could go either way. Yeah. <laughs> In more ways than one. In more ways. He is all over In more ways than one. Yes. Um, yeah, so we're, we're going to go into depth in, in that, and Laurie should know uh, soon more on the, on, the, on the gangs that you can potentially mm-hmm. meet. I love the idea of there being uh, folks who live on Avernus that are not demons uh, or devils. Demons or devils mm-hmm. who have any like you know compunction. They're just interesting characters that yeah. live there, and I think that's really fascinating. And we'll uh, we'll, we'll delve into that into more uh, segments. But um, you know, you mentioned MT Black. We mentioned how Jim Zub uh, had uh, input on this. What were some of the other uh, RPG writers out there that that worked on this product? James Atracaso, Lisa Chen, um, Lisa Penrose. Le- oh yeah, Lisa yeah. Penrose. That's right. Yeah. Um, who else? 
uh, worked on that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, book. a lot of people worked a on lot of people A lot worked, of people, uh, I know. Yeah. Adam, Adam got everybody. Chris Lindsay. Um, I love that Chris Lindsay worked on the yeah. Wandering Emporium. Kate Welch, of course, Ari Levitch in-house. You know, sure. They, yeah. the Richard Witter, Sean Wood. We had um, Joe Manganiello uh, came in. From, oh, yeah. From, from, so character. What was what was that like? It's great. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, I think it was actually when we first were started to come up with the idea of like, oh, this could be in uh, the Nine Hells and all that. And Chris was like, maybe you give Joe a call. And so I was like, okay. Well, it was like, if you're... When we picked Avernus, or when you guys picked Avernus, um, one of the things about Avernus is Tiamat lives there. Mm. And once you start talking about Tiamat, you start talking about, oh, well, you know, Joe's character, Archon McCruel, is a champion of Tiamat. Maybe... There's a love connection maybe there's Maybe there's a connection there. <laughs> yeah. So maybe there's something there. Yeah. And uh, then, yeah, we just I sent an email off to Joe, and, and uh, he was totally down with it, so... Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I know when we were working on uh, what character Joe would play during uh, D&D Live, Descent mm-hmm. to Avernus, uh, I-, I thought I was just throwing out some crazy ideas like I do sometimes with, with you guys as we're dealing with, with programming like that. And he wrote an entire you know screed of like, oh, by the way, this is actually what's happening uh, yeah. uh, uh, with uh, the, the, the Tower of, of Tiamat and all that, what yeah. that means. There's a lot that. happening down there. Yeah. Ar- Archon's on a mission. And uh, you, in this adventure... You sort of catch, if you cross paths with him, he's doing his own thing. You're doing your own thing. Mm-hmm. The question is, is there a way for those two things to come into alignment? Yeah. Because Archon's not an especially nice guy, um, but he can be helpful. Right. Um, if, if you do the right things. Yeah, he's like a, he's like an agent uh, for his, that has his own agenda, but sometimes that yeah. agenda might align with with the player characters. Yeah, yeah. But you might not trust him. Maybe in not. Pa- in practice, yeah. you, you probably no. shouldn't. Yeah. No, <laughs> but he's got Tiamat's ear, so right. You know, and Tiamat's not happy about being in hell. Yes. You're not happy. I know. Being I, in hell. <laughs> Maybe you can be unhappy in hell together. Right. <laughs> I mean, you said she lives there. Like she's got like a summer home there. I'm like, no, nah, I don't think it's lives so much no. as imprisoned there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's there against uh, her will. So if they can do anything to uh, to get it out, uh, yeah. What were some of the other writers? Uh, yeah, I'm looking. Um, so I think James Hake uh, did some stuff with yes, this. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, as well as uh, Hannah Rose. Yeah, yes, Hannah Rose, Amber Scott, uh, James Sutter. Yeah, uh, Will Doyle and Sean Merwin. Yes. Yeah, yes. they did. Um, they they did stuff for even the, the Adventures League at the live stream. Yeah, that's right. And that was some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the D and D epic uh, that we had there yeah. uh, uh, figures in prominently with this. And of course, you know, there's all the amazing Adventures League writers who are yeah. uh, creating their the, the new season uh, that will delve into all these themes. Yeah. yeah, there's a there's a blasted city in Avernus that you can stomp around in. A lot of the a lot of the stuff having to do with that was written by Sean Merwin and Will did a lot of the heavy lifting in the Avernus. Parts of the adventure where you're just yeah. wandering around the plane and discovering strange, weird locations. Yeah, and then we had uh, Justin Doney and Dan Dillon and Bill Benham. Yeah. So yeah, everybody, That's right. thousands. Yeah, everybody pitched in. That was good. That's awesome. Yeah, and obviously we had t- tons of artists. Um, great covers with Hydro Seventy Four and uh, Tyler Jackson. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and the artwork, and, and I mean, I'm uh, seeing a lot of it for the first time now, flipping through the actual physical mm-hmm. book, but it does bring to life so much of what yeah. we've been uh, talking about and describing. And then we had the, the cool section in the back where you get to actually see some of the concept art. 
that was done by Alexi Preclo and Sean yes. Wood and Richard. That's something we hadn't you know. done since Princess of the Apocalypse, and fans really liked it. Is here's yep. just a section at the end of the book of some of the art that laid the groundwork for the story. Yeah. yeah. And I love, I mean, we were talking about this earlier about how artwork and storytelling are not very separate in, in, their, in their disciplines, right? Yeah. Like they, mm-hmm. they can inform each other and, and bring to life things. Yeah. I mean, when, you know, we had, you know, Max Dunbar's stuff and then uh, Darkin, who, um, when, I, when we saw Darkin's um, Blood War piece, it was just like, oh, you know, to actually see what it looks like. You yeah. Know, there's something about writing about it or kind of conceptualizing in your head and then to actually see it, you know, just... Oh, absolutely. Oh, That's so uh, over the top. Yeah. All right. We don't have it right there. Sometimes we have it out in front, but that is one yeah. of my favorite pieces. We end up making a, uh, that cloth um, piece that we give away at D&D Live uh, okay. of that yeah. entire Blood War image of those two forces coming together mm-hmm. with explosions. Yeah. It definitely... The other thing I like about on. the art at the back, too, is we, there's some stuff in there that didn't actually make it in the story, but it's just cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. We, there's a lot of things in the story. The, the book's sort of got everything in the kitchen sink, but um, I just like I like the piece with the ghost cat. Yeah, yeah. ghost cat. So ghost good. cat. Yeah, ghost people cat. can use yep. it or, or not. Uh, so there's a scene that uh, one of the artists did of Baldur's Gate that just shows a uh, sort of a yeah. dark alleyway or section of the city, and there's just like a little spectral ghost yeah. cat. So. Oh. I think that's Vince Gross. Like, what does that mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know, right? Um, use it, use it or not. Yeah. Um, how much do you guys create in, in, in an adventure like this that ends up on the cutting room floor that doesn't get used? Text or art? Yeah, both. Uh, I mean, you guys deal with text more, so yeah. Yeah, so on the text front, uh, as much as twice the material can end up yeah. on the cutting room floor. Oh, yeah. wow. Really? Yeah. And that's from uh, the way you, you, you create? You just create more than you need to and then you pick and choose the best things or, or what? It can be it can be in any, any number of things. It could be that that we we essentially over commission and take the best. Sometimes it's like we get off on a direction, but it isn't quite working, so mm. we have to reinvent or change things around. Um, sometimes it's we just overestimate how much we actually need mm. to fit the space that we have. So it's kind of you know it's similar to a, a shooting a film or something like that where right. you know you might yeah. you might get more footage than you need or yeah. in the cutting of it you realize oh we need to get a pickup and yeah. get some more about this or sometimes it's like okay we we underestimated how much we needed to write about Baldur's Gate to give DMs and players a real sense of what's there so we have to make that section bigger so another section has to shrink mm. so what are we going to cut out of this other section you know to put the emphasis where, where it, it needs, needs to be, to be. yeah. Right. Oh, that's, like that. that's fascinating. A hundred million decisions, actually. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm, I'm hardly estimating. It's thousands of decisions about what to keep and what to stay, and it's, it goes right down to the, the word. Yeah, and I, I, I equate it in my head to, to a movie or a TV series yeah. or something like that where like, there's so many collaborative people who are working on it, but there is yeah. and when you're, when hard you're, decisions. If you think of it like made. a film editor, a film editor is like snipping half seconds at a time, right? Just getting it down to the right pace, the right pacing, the right beats, yeah. you know, marrying it to the music. You know, there's a lot to think about. And there's, um, and it's even uh, more difficult, or at least harder for me to conceive of, when you're just basically giving the prompts for the dungeon master, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not, you know, there is going to be more that's going to be expanded upon by each player and/or dungeon master that interacts with this story. Yeah. So you want to give the best or the most um, stuff that is in in line with the themes that you want to have for this right. adventure. And then there are things like user experience stuff. Like we wanted to put in some flowcharts. To help the DM, yeah, uh, very quickly at a glance see the flow of the adventure. 
Well, if you're going to throw those in, something's got to come out. Right, because right? that's a full page thing you're talking about. Or a half page or whatever. Well, however big the flowchart is or the flowcharts are, it, it eats up a fair amount of space, but it's space worth eating up. Yeah. So we sacrifice some other stuff. And that was something we got feedback from yeah. uh, from from players and dungeon masters, yeah. right? To start to include in our in our yeah. large adventures. And sometimes a section is great, but it just runs to it's a little bit too much attention on one thing. Like I think the Wandering Emporium, as when it came in written, was twice as long as what we actually put in the book. Mm. But we've kept enough of it that you get a sense of its scope and feel. Yeah. Um, it, we just trimmed out the stuff that was the 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 least interesting of that material. What? Um... <laughs> I, I might be overstepping uh, my bounds here, but what about the idea of putting together like uh, you know a, an extended edition of of an adventure like no. this? <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, <laughs> whoops! All right, I'll tell Nathan, and he'll say yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I mean, I I I love content, you know, and sure. I think that uh, you know my best, I think my favorite editions of the Peter Jackson's uh, uh, movies, uh, Lord of the Rings movies, were the extended edition. I don't really even watch sure. the theatrical releases yeah. because I, I, I think... But I think in more... those experiences, you sort of revel in the world, right? Yes. And, and you're getting just more character moments. In a story like this, and here's an argument for the, 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 the converse. Yeah. Um, there's only so long that the players will want to be in hell. Mm. If you keep them there too long, um, the campaign might sour. Right. You know what I mean? So you don't want to give people the wrong tools. Right. right? Or not yeah. the wrong tools, but like the tools that you don't think will have a good player experience. Yeah, the story is meant to play out a certain time frame and for a certain distance, and then you get out and everybody's happy. Yeah. Uh, if you belabor something or if you just present more rooms in the dungeon, that doesn't necessarily create a better experience at the table. I see. Your, your campaign might end right. unexpectedly yeah. when the player's get bored of the location that they're in or whatever. So you shorten things down, you pare things down so that everything keeps moving. And, you know, like to Chris's point, it's like, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I got to see sort of on the, on the front lines how that's done. And, uh, you, know, you know, handing this over to Chris and just being like, you know. Make watch, a book! Make a book! <laughs> watch him. Here's the awesome ideas and, and all the content, but yeah. But to see what everything that Chris has just been talking about, it's like the, the years of experience, decades of experience that has gone into knowing what to cut, what to keep, what needs to be put in, what needs to be thrown out. It's like that is, um, you know, I, I got to watch that and to see what an art form that is and the decisions, like every decision is informed by years and years and years of experience. So it's like so I can I can hear what you're saying and and know that 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 that's true. You know, it's like I'm the same way. I love the Lord of Extended. Like, show me all this stuff. Show me all the scenes with Aragorn and with the Hobbits and all that. But with this, it is there is there is a story that's that's taking place, and to tell that story so that you you leave this thing wanting more. Mm. Rather than ah, oh, I just want to get God, out of this. Right. Yeah, yeah. You don't want that experience, and and that's where Chris comes in and 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 knows that um, so snip, well. Snip, so, snip, yeah. snip. Yeah. Well, yeah. and you know, and, and now I, I I'm I'm swaying the other way too because I think there is such a wonderful DIY nature about this hobby, um, mm. and when you've seen you know, the explosion of ancillary content that comes from, uh, you know, just Dungeon Masters at their home table. Yeah. You know, if they want more 
they can just create more mm-hmm. and, 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 had, and go off of what you guys are, are feeding them that's in the book and create whatever kind of content they want. And that is essentially their extended yeah. edition. But yeah. then we also see that on Dungeon Masters Guild where so many of the – some of the writers you mentioned uh, as helping to work on this book are writing products that – you know, or maybe even taking material that didn't end up in the book mm-hmm. and, yeah. and releasing it on the Dungeon Masters Guild. Sure. So that has in some ways become the yeah. extended edition that, mm-hmm. uh, that yeah. I'm talking about. All right, so – Good. You you convinced me the other way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just to be clear, I love the extended editions of Lord of the Rings. I, yeah. I watch them every Christmas. It's it's a great Christmas time yeah. uh, pastime, isn't it? So, right. Yeah, because yeah. that, that's where when they were released, yeah. Yeah. right? So it feels like you're going back. And um, I may be in the minority. I don't know, but I actually love the extended editions of the Hobbit films too. I haven't seen those. Yeah, uh, they're I, they're much better than theatrical releases. Really? Yes. Okay. I'm gonna, can I borrow those? Do you have them on physical media? I do. Media? Yes, <laughs> you can absolutely borrow them. <laughs> nice. Uh, I will do that. And that's another thing. Like this book, like p- somebody will play this and it's, they don't have to play every single thing in this book. No. And, and they most likely won't. They most yeah. likely won't. So yeah. you've got you know, replayability for one, but also um, you know, it's, like it's not designed that way. You know, it's like it's designed, there's a path to go through and it branches out and then there's all these different little things you can do. So... Realistically, you know, it's even more truncated than just what's contained in that book, the actual adventure. So, yeah, yeah. and by no means am I discounting the amount of material that's in there oh, because sure. okay. you know there is stuff in there that you know if people even if people are playing a weekly session, it will take a year or more to get through this entire sure. story. It'll be mm-hmm. as long or as, as short as a, the DM wants it to go. So, right. Yeah. 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 All right. Awesome. Well. Uh, if I wasn't excited already, this conversation has got me more and more <laughs> jazzed uh, to Dungeon Master uh, and or play in, in a campaign uh, set in Baldur's Gate Descent to a Grind. I suspect there will be some groups that will go through the Baldur's Gate section, run off to Candlekeep, and just stay in Candlekeep. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for real. Be like, oh, we have to go to hell. Oh. <laughs> but Candlekeep is just so cool. Yeah, bucks. Yeah. <laughs> if I had to pick a location uh, that I wanted to live in in the Forgotten Realms, I think Candlekeep would be top that of the list. That would be all right. So yeah, cool. yeah. Yeah. I just yeah. I love books so much. So I would uh, you know. It's, mm-hmm. it's yeah. part of my thing. Yeah. Thank you for being here uh, and uh, uh, delving into everything that's going on with this adventure. How can people get in touch with you uh, to pester you with amazing questions about how to expand their adventure? I am on Twitter at Chris Perkins DND. I'm on Twitter at, at Adam of Adventure. We're plugging your handle a lot <laughs> on this episode. Uh, so hopefully you get some followers and people will uh, uh, jump in and, and find out more about what's happening in this adventure. So yeah. thank you guys. And uh, we'll be uh, ending this segment right about now. Man, you know, Adam, you really do a good interview. Why? Thank you. Both sir. on the uh, receiving end and the uh, uh, interviewee end and the uh, uh, interviewer end. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, actually, uh, it, it's it's uh, it's good to be interviewed by you, sir. Oh, well, thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah you make it fun. easy. Yeah, I, I came into this uh, uh, fretting somewhat, and now put at ease. You feel at ease. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Because, you know, there is something about this this podcast form where, uh, that I like that makes it just feel like people, interesting people talking. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, it's a little bit heightened. Is not necessarily how you and I would converse, you know, all the time. Yeah. But, it, but it, 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 I, that's what I enjoy about it. It's just yeah. like, oh, I, yeah. these people know are experts in their field and they can, uh, uh, they can talk about it. And uh, especially a, a product that you worked on or a book that you were working on, of course. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There's so much uh, wealth of information to, to delve into. So Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's fun, you know. Like anytime I get to talk about something that I'm a geek about, <laughs> it's good. Like diving or archaeology or yeah. yeah. I was actually going to be an Egyptologist at one point. Were you really? Yep. Nice. Yep. 
I was studying and I was learning um, French and German and Arabic. So that you could uh, find a Rosetta Stone and be able to yeah. translate it? Yeah, a lot of the, the old uh, Egyptological texts are written by uh, German archaeologists, French archaeologists, and of course Arabic archaeologists, so yeah. So do you yeah. believe uh, or have an inkling that uh, some type of other force came to the Egyptians and that's why there was this, yeah. this, this boom of technology and it allowed them to create the, the pyramids of Giza? Yeah, I don't know, man. That is, I mean, uh, I, I definitely think if anything, it was, it was all terrestrial. You know, I think, I don't, I don't feel like space aliens came down and built the pyramids. Um, however, I, 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 if there was evidence that, 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 I mean, I am intrigued by that. Yeah. You know, that, that if, of course, the, the fantasy part of me loves that idea and is like, that would be great. However, all the ancient civilizations were, you know, believed that their ancestors came from the stars. Mm. And they have crazy uh, accurate star maps that show these different locations. And the pyramids are aligned to Sirius, the, the Orion uh, constellation. And um, other uh, tribes in uh, Africa are like the Dogon. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of the Dogon? I've not the Sirius mystery? Woo, Nelly, that'll, that'll blow your mind. Um, so... So there is something about the, you know, like where did it come from? And it's, it's, it's just tantalizing enough to maybe, maybe, maybe. it does. I think that's maybe why real, so know? many programs latch onto that idea sure, is because sure. it is so tantalizing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love that idea too. I've yeah. always loved, I was a fan of the um, uh, Robert, Robert Anton Wilson, the Illuminati trilogy. Oh, wow. No, this. no. Oh, yeah. So it, that ties you know, pyramids and what we're talking about to the assassination of the Kennedys oh, uh, to like what's happening in, like in our world now yeah. uh, is all through that, you know, and it's, and it's a very yeah. uh, crazy mystical novel. I think you actually, you would really dig it because oh, yeah. there no, it, sounds, sounds it awesome. shifts time and character and perspective in the same sentence. Whoa. Uh, okay. So much yeah. so that it's becomes just this huge mind blowing experience yeah. reading it. Uh, oh. It's difficult to get through yeah, uh, for that reason. It's kind of like yeah. a, you know, uh, Ulysses or something like that. Oh, yeah. uh, wow. but, but it t- deals with all those fun ideas. Wow. And that's the thing. I mean, it, it, I mean, you know, we can all go out into that, that, that realm and just be like, what if, but when you go to actually, like I've been to Peru, which has a lot of these um, sites that are just as fascinating as like something like the Osirian in Egypt, where these got these megalithic blocks, but they're built so perfect. And I've seen some things in Peru that doesn't, it, regardless of what it is, there's this physical object that when you see it, um, when I saw it, I was like, it's it boggles the mind. Like I can see pictures of um, this this place in in Peru. Like there's one called Sacsayhuaman. There's one called the um, the the well, it's the in Cusco. It's it's the Incas uh, sort of mm-hmm. sacred temple. And yeah. but when you when I saw it, like actually saw it, it it's it's mind blowing. It, yeah. it's just like how was this done? And how could how could a human civilization, you know, yeah. seven hundred years ago do yeah. this? Right. You know, and it's just, it just, um, it doesn't, the historical reality that we've been taught is just doesn't support it. And so it's like, okay, there's got to be some other kind of thing going on. So nice. anyway, I feel like we should delve into that in a whole other yes, Dragon we Talk should just episode do a, interview about yeah. archaeology and how it relates to fantasy. And, yeah. and, and, and I think uh, there's a lot of overlap there. There really is. I, uh, yeah, that would be great because it does, it influences the mind to like write the stuff that I write for these books. Um, like when I think of like, like, oh, an elven, like what is an elven? fortress, long lost elven fortress look like. Yeah. And it was built by high magic. Well, 
it's like, okay, I've yeah. been to one of these crazy like things where I'm like, how was this built? Like, it feels to, like it was high magic yeah, that built it. Yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. so cool. Definitely relevant to Dungeons and Dragons. Well, I, uh, you know, as we started from uh, the, this episode, uh, you know, I think your Twitter handle is a perfect uh, oh, yeah. encapsulation of everything that we've been talking about today. So what is it one more time for people so that they can ask you any questions about Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus? It is Adam of Adventure. At Adam of Adventure. At Adam of Adventure. I am, of course, at Greg Tito. Uh, you can follow uh, Shelly Moo and bug her and make sure that she comes back on this podcast very yes. soon. We miss her dearly, uh, but I hope she's recharging. Uh, uh, she is at Shelly Moo. Um, if you want to find out anything about Dungeons & Dragons, uh, sometimes the best place to look is on DungeonsAndDragons.com, where mm-hmm. we have tons of information about how to get started. Uh, if you're interested in playing in uh, a game, you can find out more about uh, the D&D Adventurers League at dndadventurersleague.org. Uh, Dragon Plus is also a great resource where you can download that onto your uh, iOS or Android device bi-monthly. That means you know every two months an issue comes out with tons of information. You've contributed a lot to Dragon Plus over the years. Yeah, it's been uh, fun. Fiction as well as interviews on uh, on this adventure. Yeah, um, yeah, it's all a blur to me now, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had some fun. And, and I love Dragon Plus because, um, you know, we actually have ideas uh, of things that we want to put on that for later um, issues as we go through because we want to use it more and more to just kind of really start trying out some new things. Yeah. Start trying out some new uh, new creatures, new adventures, all that kind of stuff. So, so if you want to get yeah. inside peek, definitely download Dragon Plus. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and check well, out each issue as they come out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're up to like issue 24 or wow. something like this at this point. Like oh, we've gosh. been two, uh, you know, more than four years that we've been doing. Yeah. Yeah, right. I want to do a Dragon Plus cover. Yeah. Yeah. You I should. Draw, yeah. yeah. I draw percent. Oh, yeah. that'd be really cool. Yeah. And I love the covers. Shauna uh, oh has gosh. done a great job at, at art directing and, and bringing new and interesting artists and ways to do it. Yeah. Some of my favorite were like the uh, uh, the food uh, oh, yeah. cover where it was like carved <laughs> food was a sculpture as well as um, the Zugget Moy sculpture was created for a, uh, a cover of Dragon Plus, which yeah. is one of my favorite D&D artifacts ever. Oh so definitely gosh. download it. If you yep. don't want to get a new app on your phone, you can look at that content at dragonmag.com. Uh, it's all there as well. Uh, thank you so much again for being My here. My pleasure. Uh, yeah, and, anytime, uh, man. Uh, you're really fun to talk to. So, oh, yeah. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you know, Shelly's got some, some, some competition here. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Shelly. I can uh, hold a candle to Shelly. Awesome. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, you being an adventurer and able to uh, figure out how to survive in a cave, uh, do you think that the rocks that are above us are going to fall down anytime and, and kill us? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's probably like, you know, when the piercers come down. <laughs> just and, Yeah, we're, we're sitting ducks. Oh, God. No, yeah. no. Do you see that? The piercer, it's falling. <laughs> it's falling. Oh, God. <laughs>